We used to campaign for faculty. You have to campaign across the school. You have to go to mm. different halls, you know, climb. I remember going to Africa Hall. You climb up and I was campaigning at the time with my vice president, Hans Peter. Mm-hmm. Hans Peter, wherever you are, it will be good to catch up. And uh, I remember going into rooms and people asking me, why do you want to be president? Why does he not want to be president? Oh, wow. Why not? Why is it not why vice is president? It, why is it not like a vice exactly. president? Exactly. You know, and you? I remember getting all these comments like, who do you think you are? I used to wear an anklet in mm. school. I still do. But people found that just they hated it for some reason because wow. they, they thought it was, they, I don't know, it just... It was like People, a cultural thing. Like, yeah, why is this woman campaigning for... I think this? we're just... We're not used to things like that at the time. Welcome to What's Your Story? A podcast from Technova where we talk to business people, creatives, and entrepreneurs about their personal backstories and the projects and companies that they built and are building. I'm your host, Joseph Curry. We think it's pretty much fair to say that our new guest is a hustler, but in a good sense of the word. Cynthia Ofuri Dungfor is currently the Group Head of Marketing Corporate Affairs at Hala Ghana, which is an insurance company. In high school, Cynthia was someone who took on multiple things including sports, club activities, and even becoming the girls perfect at her school. This can-do spirit followed her to university, where she campaigned for the Student Representative Council and also started doing radio as well. In her professional career, she walked, worked at multiple agencies and sectors and later on went to pursue her master's at Clemson University in the U.S. But much to her family's surprise, she decided to come back to Ghana where she took on more jobs and eventually became the group head of marketing at Halagan. Her backstory is a lot, but we'll let Cynthia take it from here and tell you about her backstory Now she eventually made it to the group head of marketing at a giant insurance company. So I've always been the outgoing kid. I am extroverted. I'm actually introvert to those who know me personally. I'm an introvert to those who know me personally, but generally I'm very outgoing. And in high school, I found myself. I was in every activity possible from sports to writers and debaters club to mm. I was a school prefect girl school prefect oh, where um, did you go to high school by the way oh Akosomo International School okay that's where I went to funny uh, enough you went to Akosomo International School I did really on Isosan yes I am how did I not know that it's one of those things I just don't reveal really our anniversary <laughs> is uh, our 60th anniversary is in two weeks I hope you're attending I do not think so <laughs> why you had a terrible experience no 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 I had a good experience I just didn't finish but that's a whole oh, other oh you didn't finish oh you're one of those Dada V kids no 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> but yeah, so, okay, interesting. Funny enough yes. to know that you went so to Akosombo. So you can relate to my experience in the Yes, areas. because Akosombo was very, I guess, very progressive in a way. We yeah. did a lot of things. We did a lot of activities, as you were saying, debate clubs. Sports. I think about drama club, yeah. sports especially. Yeah. We had into school sports. Yeah. So you were all involved in every activity there. Basically, I did everything. I played hockey. I played football. I was roaming Eastern region, Volta region. Mm. Cape Coast for all kinds of debate tournaments. Yes. I remember that in third year, we organized a, a fair, myself and a bunch of other colleagues. I vaguely remember how we pulled it together, but I, I remember that some schools participated. So that, that has always been my personality. And yes. I would like to appreciate AIS for also teaching me about putting myself out there. Mm, yeah. Because the whole process of getting elected as a... Um, Girls' group effect was 
a major life experience for me because we had to, as you know, the process of getting nominated in itself is mm-hmm. quite sophisticated. Yes. Then when you're nominated, you have to campaign. Mm-hmm. And even campaigning, getting your campaign materials together, endorsing them, going from classroom to classroom. And as you know, our school was from grade school. So yeah, all the way down there. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, you're campaigning with GSS kids, you're campaigning with um, high school kids. High school. Mm-hmm. And it was just a very interesting experience. You get booed in one class, you get supported in another class you go at the end of the day you go to manifesto reading right manifesto reading day you have yes. to mount the podium and, and tell you me know, your plans pitch the, to the school why yes. you should be vote, why you should vote for me exactly so i loved high school it was a great time for me i discovered myself awesome good so were you a science student or were you an art student i was an art student i studied economics french and uh, history and i forget the last one Okay, so before you went in doing like science, I mean the arts, mm-hmm. did you have like a career path in mind? No. Like, did you? So it was just like no. I always figured I'd be sort of a lawyer. You mm. know, I thought to myself, well, you are very chatty, you enjoy the arts, you could be a lawyer. Okay, maybe also because that's what people used to say around me. Mm. Okay, so a lawyer. Mm. So okay, so you did everything in AIS as you said, mm-hmm. the girls perfect everything. Mm. So when you finished, what was the next step for you? University. Okay. <laughs> there was no, oh, can I explore any other career path? I mean, any, any other academic path. You finish high school, you go to university. Mm. And for me, it was very clear. I did know I wanted to go to KNUST. You because, knew? Yes, I did because my sister was in KNUST. Gotcha. And I loved the idea of being far away from home. Mm. I could not see myself in Legon or in UCC and mm. any other university. So it had to be that KNUST. was one thing I can admit to knowing very clearly that I would do. Okay. Yeah. So what what did you what topic did you go? I studied in? economics and French. Okay, so like yeah. from the art school in the Basically. AIS. So I just continued what I was doing in high school in university. Okay. And um I did I enjoyed French in university, but I dropped it in my second year. Okay. Partly because we were asked to confirm one one course. At the time you could oh. do double, but in my year we were asked to confirm one. So I chose economics out of I mean the two. Okay. Yeah, partly also because my parents said they wouldn't pay for me to go to France. Oh. And I said, if you're going to let me go to Benin, then oh, yeah, <laughs> let like, me do you know, economics. Yes, go for the closest, you know, French country. Why exactly, because you have to do a year abroad, right? True. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, so you did economics in K University. Yes. And I was, what was the entire experience? Like, when you were in university, you were really thinking about, like, your career. Like, if I get out of here and see, I'm going to do this. Was it still on the law path? I don't think so. I really was just enjoying my experience i'm someone who puts myself fully into what i do mm-hmm. and so university was an extension of high school for me mm. i came in and i put myself fully into tech you know okay. and tech a boys school for i mean it's a boys school technically and for a girl coming into a boys school was fantastic okay new experience you know, it was a new experience it was interesting i participated in a lot of um a lot of activities okay. i i Same remember way, yes okay trying things so for instance I joined the cadets very early first year I quickly quit because I was like I'm not going to be waking up at what 3am 4am to be doing this I left that in high school (laughs) (laughs) and um, but I was in student leadership I was in SRC I was in the JCR that I was a I was at first an editorial board um, member and then I moved on. I, I campaigned and I won and I was the I was the hall secretary for Independence Hall Okay, and then after that, I 
I tried to move out of JCR and move into faculty. So I campaigned for the position of president <laughs> for the social science. Um, nice. Uh, yeah, the social science faculty. But I lost. And it was a very dramatic loss because I was disqualified along the way for some very, very atrocious reasons. So I took them to court. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> well, I'll say uh, yeah. student court, which is yeah. more or less some kind of SRC uh, sign some sitting. And um, so I delayed the election for a semester. So the next semester, we finally went ahead and my name was on the, on the, on the ballot and I lost. I lost amazingly. Yeah, do you think... Do you <laughs> but think, I expected that. Do you think it's because you actually were campaigning against saying that, hey, this is unfair, so that's why <laughs> you lost? Well, I don't think people were ready for my personality and who hmm. I was. That's just the truth. And at the time, it wasn't normal for a woman to campaign to be president of a faculty. Interesting. And it was... These experiences have all led to who I am currently because it's taught me a lot about rejection, understanding how people think and, you know, how people approach you. And at the time... We used to campaign for faculty, you have to campaign across the school, you have to go to mm. different halls, you know, climb. I remember going to Africa Hall, you climb up and I was campaigning at the time with my vice president, Hans Peter. Mm-hmm. Hans Peter, wherever you are, we go to catch up. And uh, I remember going into rooms and people asking me, why do you want to be president? Why does he not want to be president? Oh, wow. Why not? Why is it not vice why president? It, why is it not like a vice exactly. president? Exactly. You know, and you? I remember getting all these comments like, who do you think you are? I used to wear an anklet in hmm. school. I still do. But people found that just they hated it for some reason because wow. they, they thought it was, they, I don't know, it just... It was like a People, cultural thing. Like, yeah, why is this woman campaigning for... I think this? we're just, we're not used to things like that at the time. Right. You know, women who live their lives as, you know, they saw fit. And I remember my campaign manager coming to beg me and saying, that's in there, one, you need to remove your anklet. And two, hmm. you need to reduce your embrofusem. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> when we go around and, you know, just... On the whole, I don't have any bitter feelings about that because it was a great experience. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And even as I lost the day of the voting, I could have I could have sworn that the only people voted for me were my friends. And then that was it. That's such a a unique experience. And this was like two thousand what, two thousand four? I finished in two thousand and seven. So this must have been two thousand and six or so. Okay. Yeah, two thousand and six or yeah. Must have been, yeah. Nice. And at the time, there was a lady who had stood for SRC president overalls and Sophia. And I remember people thinking that I just wanted to copy her. Oh, so like a copycat. Exactly. And me saying, I already had this in mind, but the SRC elections come before faculty elections. But it doesn't... Anyway, but hmm. I'm really happy to see that the world has moved along since then. <laughs> that people are now accepting of women in leadership. Yeah. You know, and even women ourselves being accepting of women in leadership because in the past we haven't been ourselves Hmm. we haven't understood that it's possible for a woman to take the front seat and i'm excited to see that now this is more commonplace amongst young people and in schools okay that's pretty cool i also noticed something that while you were in school in university you were actually doing also radio yes so what what was that experience like how did you go from okay i'm going to campaign for all this stuff but also do radio as well Uh, because i have a degree in doing plenty things at the same time (laughs) so how did you even get started with i think i got into radio by accident because someone dragged me along to the radio station at the time called focus fm Hmm. and i just have these memories of hanging around focus and one day they're like oh come in you should come and do this program so I hosted two shows 
Um, one was very popular and won an award. It was called Matters Arising. Oh, wow. And Matters Arising was a discussion talk show program, which I had a most amazing producer. His name was Wono. Wono was very popular in the school, very interesting guy. But Wono got me the best guests. So sometimes the, the show be very, you know, controversial with the mm. representatives from Tain and Tesco and that's political groups. Okay. And then sometimes just, you know, listening to people who are influential. So my best interview or discussion program was with Andam. And um, he was the vice... Um, What's it called? The VC at VC the time. Yeah. Yes, he was a VC at the time. And that show was just a great interview with, with Andam. And I had a second show, which was a jazz program on Sundays. Oh, nice. And um, both programs were learning opportunity for me because I learned how to, you know, interview, to talk to people, to read ahead, you know, understand what yeah, I need to do to build myself. Like, exactly. And then also hearing the feedback from listeners was quite encouraging and exciting. Mm. Unfortunately, I had to I had to terminate that radio in I think final year first semester because my my mom called me and said, "You know what? <laughs> you what? need to pack this and be serious." Why? Why so, why, why was she upset? Well, that? partly because once again, back then, journalism was not seen as such a viable profession. Gotcha. So I could have continued and, you know, I I was at focus with people like Kujo Akotobwating, with people like Lexis, Lexis Bill, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm I'm always excited when I hear them on radio because I'm like, wow, you guys, you know, stayed the course and you're yeah. doing marvelously, yes. But back then, my parents were not having it, mm. you know. They were, you need to sit down and focus. And I, I do accept that when you tend to be someone who has a lot of interest, sometimes you have to prioritize and you have to decide what to focus on because you really can't do everything and do everything right. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you, right now so right now you've terminated the radio yeah. and you just, I guess you say you just lost the election. So your final year of university, what yeah. were you thinking was your next pathway? So every summer I had, um, I traveled. So I was very big on the whole Buggering thing, bugger, <laughs> going work, you know. And I think I missed mentioning that my radio journey didn't actually start in tech. Mm. It started before tech, when I finished AIS. Okay. So a friend and I, because I'd always listened to radio and enjoyed radio at home. Okay. So a friend and I actually walked to Multimedia, to Joy FM at the time, to try and get um, some kind of a job at Multimedia. Oh, you know, during the long break between... Um, yeah, High school yeah. and uni. Yes. yes, exactly. And she ended up getting a job, actually. Oh, she got she a ended job. up getting a job as a PA. And she was there for quite a long time, going to school and working and all of that. Okay. But I didn't get a role. I remember one time I walked in and someone I met later in my, in my life, actually, who I worked with later, Kofi Owusu. I always joke about this with him. You know, I walked in and I was like, oh, you need to hire me because I think I'm, I'm great. And I'm sure he was thinking, who is this small girl? <laughs> you know, and he thrust a piece of paper in my hand and he said, read this. And I think I was so stunned when he asked me to read this that I probably just like, I, I just messed it up. Exactly, <laughs> I, messed it, I messed it up. But funny enough, after I started tech, they called me back for an internship. But... I was traveling and I was like, ah, I didn't come bugger. Okay. I'm going. (laughs) So So, I never made, so I I never pursued that partly because I was too busy um, traveling out to work and make money. Another significant Mm. aspect of my life that I think has also influenced who I am because it, um, it continued that trajectory of 
hustle, the hustle. Mm. So after school as well, after high school as well, I got a job working for Woodin. And oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> and I actually remember taking a trotro all the way to the Woodin. I, I forget what the name of the company is now in Tema. Taking oh, a trotro. Wow. We lived at Kandai, taking a trotro all, all the, the way, way to Tema and finding my way at the main office and going, insisting that I wanted to see whoever was hiring, oh, that wow. I wanted a job as a, a shop attendant at Woodin. <laughs> and so I dropped my, my, my CV there. In fact, I encouraged my friends to do that as well. So another yeah, friend of mine. So we like your leading is like, hey guys, let's go do this. <laughs> and eventually I didn't get a job immediately at the Osu shop. I got a job um, back then. They used to do trade fairs. Mm-hmm. So they had a wooden shop in the trade fair. So I got a job there first. I think I did two trade fairs or so, was it? Well, two times there. Two. And then he moved us to the Osu shop where okay. I, wanted, I had wanted to be. So that whole hustle mentality was very strong. At the time, I didn't recognize it as that, you know. You, so You just want to work and get exactly. experience. So kind of doing that, I want to do everything at once and right. just see how good work goes. Exactly, exactly. So cool. university as well, because maybe because I was also, I had family in the UK. It was easy for me to get to the UK, you know. Don't, don't quote me, but my first summer, I was working with my sister's papers. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the usual hustle thing, you go, you get a job, you make money, you come back home, you have extra money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. By the time I was in final year, I was paying for my, what's it called? Hostel. I paid for Brunei myself. You know, I had nice. money in my pocket that I, I had earned myself. And once again, it didn't, I didn't recognize it as, at the time as a life a life-changing experience. It was just something that I was doing because maybe because everybody around me did it okay, or maybe so. because I'd been exposed to it. But I, I think that it also helped me to be more exposed and better suited for the working world when ultimately I was done with my undergrad. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you've been going to countries like UK, getting jobs, mm-hmm. getting more experience and exposure mm-hmm. and then working at Houdin. What was that experience like? Was it a long, like, time like did you work there for a while oh or? we didn't know it was it was not that i don't think it was that long now i can, I can barely remember but right. i don't think it was that long because we ended up in school so once we went to tech all of that there yes. all of those jobs ended but then once i started tech then it became every summer i'm planning towards um traveling mm-hmm. in the summer so of gotcha. course your parents will probably pay for your first ticket or two mm-hmm. and then your next trips as you're in school you're thinking about how you're raising money i remember one summer i actually borrowed money to buy my ticket Okay. To travel, I told my parents I'm going. I borrowed money. The first thing I did when I I, I traveled was earn the money back and return pay back. and pay the person back. And you know, I did all kinds of jobs. I did McDonald's. I did Burger King. Worked at the till. I did catering. I did crowd control. My favorite is crowd control. Yeah, you're really doing everything. <laughs> Control because here I was this skinny girl. I mean, I'm still slim, and I was even skinnier back then. Skinny girl in this huge uh, reflector jacket, uh, you know. And we are there at concerts, and you know, we are controlling the crowd, crowd. directing people. Like you know, when when there's trouble, you know, know, just blocking the people. Exactly, don't go here. It was highly, highly entertaining, and you know, things like waiting weddings I remember, I remember. oh you also waited weddings oh I, I did it <laughs> I guess the only thing I didn't do back then because it was a joke I, I mean that was always the thing was I didn't wash dead bodies and I was never formally a cleaner but th- for those who did it look good for you 
But for anyone who used to bug out during school, you know the hustle. What are you getting? You're like, where can I find a job? Just to get money. I exactly. get money in my and pocket. All of those of us who traveled used to used to maintain a good network of where's the next job? Where can I be hired? Yes. How do I get that? You know, and you you're you're pushing your CV out to many places. You are getting rejected. You learn how to augment your CV, you know, and you know, when you get there also adapt to the environment mm. so that you can keep up with the the job itself that you've managed to right. secure. You know, and at the end of the day, there's a fulfillment in seeing that you've earned money, mm, yes, you, you know, and yeah, holding that money and, yeah. and feeling like, wow, I have enough money for my next ticket next year. I have enough money to pay for my, if I want to go to, in, in, for my final year, for instance, pay for my hostel and still have a, a few CDs in my, I mean, in my pocket when you change the, mm-hmm. the pound. So it was, it was a great experience. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing a lot. So you've <laughs> accumulated all this experience. Yeah. You just finished tech. Yeah. And everything. So, what was your next career path? So, seeing... I wanted to live in the UK once again because my sister was British, is British. Okay. And I thought, hey, I'm going to follow. And, and once again, you know, we are all influenced by older siblings. Mm-hmm. So, I said, well, she is in the UK. I'm going to go too. And follow her, yeah. You know, and I've, I've been coming to the UK. So, I might as well just continue. So, I spent almost a year after school. Well, no, not a year, less than that. I traveled to the UK. I got a job working with. I, I was a pharmacy liaison. It was quite a nice job. It was okay. in uh, Walthamstow. And um, the head there was Ghanaian, actually. Okay. And I tried, I actually got a job with Barclays. But the problem was I couldn't get my work permit sorted out. Okay. So I hit the road and I was like, what do I do? For a lot of people who find themselves in that scenario, they either stay and hustle and figure out something. Get something or they come back. And I just said, um, I'm not about to be on this end of hustling. Mm. You know, and I was very conscious of the fact that I wanted a some sort of a career. I didn't know exactly what I wanted at the time. I still didn't know what you were going to do with like future. I, I, I honestly I, I tell people who young people who feel that they they're a bit confused that it's it's not it's normal. There's nothing wrong with it. I felt like that. So I came back to Ghana and then I um did my national service late. I think I probably started in February or was it late January. I did my national service at the Ministry of Communications. Okay. Which was also a great posting. You know, yeah. most people have a terrible time working at like the ministries, ministries yeah. because they they feel like they are just sent to buy beans and plantain. <laughs> yeah, basically errands. <laughs> errand become man. an errand boy, errand girl. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe I was just lucky, but I, I found myself in the IT office okay. with um, a gentleman called Joe T. And uh, I don't know, maybe I was just, I was lucky because in Jyoti's office, nobody could come and send me anywhere. Hmm. And, you know, he gave me some interesting work to do. I remember I worked on an intranet. I'll be very surprised if that intranet is actually functional right now. <laughs> I mean, it's been obviously since 2008, but right. I worked on the intranet. And then luckily for me, I got put on projects. So I remember that we organized the some sort of a communications conference at La Palme for all African countries. So that also oh. exposed me to the art of event organizing. Okay, okay. You know, and I remember meeting a woman, a Ghanaian woman, at who was part of the organizers from the organization. And, you know, I was like, I like this woman a lot. I like her energy. I like what she's doing. You know, I'm I'm interested in it, but I didn't really think that I was interested in event organizing. I just thought I loved what she was what doing. What she was doing, yeah. And um, I was also lucky to do things like procurement. I, I think it was just, you know, that expression, Boba Job. So I was lucky because I actually worked. 
Hmm. Unlike other people at the ministries who don't really... Yeah, it's kind of more very laid back. Exactly. So I did a lot of work at the Ministry of Communications. It was a great exposure. However, I knew that I couldn't work in government because I didn't like the general pace of work. Like the bureaucracy? Sorry? The bureaucracy of it? Yes, the the bureaucracy also just felt like a bit slow. Mm. It just, I just felt I I wasn't a right fit. So Mm -hmm. I didn't think it made sense to pursue that. Okay. So basically you did like that. I guess you did your one-year national service. And then what was your next step after that? Since you didn't want to work in government. So the next step, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I found myself in a place that most young people find themselves. What are you doing? What are you applying for? What kind of job do you want? And at the time, a lot of my friends were trying to get into the bank. Yeah, the banking was big. Exactly. I knew I wasn't too excited about the bank, but I still said, let me just give it a shot anyway. So I applied to a few banks. Where else did I apply to? I think I just spread my CV around. But what struck me was this. I remember that when I was going to do my national service, every day when I'm driving to do my national service, I used to drive my mom. We would drive past this small consulting firm called Showbill. Showbill. Yes. It was somewhere along the... It's What's this... No worries. It was somewhere in cantonments there about. So we drive past it. And you just find it so interesting. So I, by the time I finished my national service, I picked my CV and I sent it to them. And I was like, I don't know. Let I don't me know. See. Like maybe something yeah, might come out of it. Exactly. Yeah. So then I dropped my CV there. And um, I remember at the same time too, I did interviews. I did recruitment days for Meltwater. At the time, before they entered the market, they were oh, trying. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so before they became, they, they established Mest here. Mest, yeah. So they, I actually did that with a, a, a friend and colleague, a former colleague of mine who ended up um, getting the job and moving to SA with them. I didn't get the job, by the way. I went all the way to the end and <laughs> I don't know. They didn't like me. Did they didn't hire me. <laughs> and then I also tried to get into Emirates. Oh, I know. That, that was interesting. I remember my mom said, Listen, they are, they are doing a recruitment. They go. Wait, <laughs> you like so traveling, was, go. Was there a specific job? Like, was it flight attendant? No, a flight attendant, yes. Really? Flight attendant. And I knew a few people from AIS who were actually in there. Nice. So I show up at the recruitment day, you know, and already I'm thinking to myself, I, I, I think I just felt a little better than the job. I mean, let, let me be because honest the, with you. The flight attendant is not necessarily I know, and you know, because, thing. but then when I got there, I, I had a, a healthy respect for the job okay. because the recruitment day was a very rigorous, rigorous recruitment day. And what we were exposed to made me understand that it's not a glorified waiting job. It's mm-hmm. a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, everything from the health and safety to the procedure, you can't just do that job, you know, and... At each level, they'll eliminate a few people. Yeah. So I made it to the final, to the end. And, you know, I was so certain I was going to get that job. Okay. I was setting, And I was there with another AIS um, lady, in fact. And they asked us to submit our photos. And then they said, we'll get back in touch with us. Okay. In the meantime, I was still getting into, I, w- I had just, I think, started with Shobel Consulting because I got called for the interview. and. Okay. Suddenly, here I am working in a consulting firm, institutional reform and management consulting okay. um, as a junior consultant. So in the meantime, I was like, OK, let me see. Maybe I can end up working for Emirates and I'll be draft traveling and all of that. Hmm. And um, I got eventually I got the email that said you have not been selected. I was so bummed. You were. <laughs> I was so sad. I was sad because I thought that how could they reject me? I think I was so Sharp. Like, yeah, you were perfect for the role. So exactly. why didn't I get it? I was like, it? I was so sharp. I mean, during the recruitment day, all the answers, I gave the right answers, blah, blah, blah. Or was it that my pictures were not good enough? Maybe I was not, you know. Hmm. But 
I think the rejection was good for me because you need, you do need rejection. Mm. It's there's something about rejection that helps you to sit back and check yourself. Mm. You know, so and luckily for me, I already had a job, so I just stayed in that, and then that was also another very pivotal experience for nice. me at Shobo. So, how long did you stay at Shobo for? Was it two or three years? I don't remember. Oh. I was there till 2010 when I went to grad school. Okay. Yes, and um, working at Shobo, I worked under PMC Phyllis Maria Christian, mm. and PMC is she was my first real boss. You know, first real boss in the sense that even when I was working in the UK, it wasn't the same. You know, here I knew that at Chobel, I knew that, wow, my life is really on track now. Right. Now, I, I mean, obviously, I'm a very junior member of the team, but now right. I feel like I'm doing something because we're working on major projects for um, Millennial Development Authority, where, you know, as a consulting firm, you're also pitching all the time. Mm, we're yeah, developing yeah, yeah. proposals, contributing to proposals for all sorts of international projects and government projects and getting to execute them. So I, you know, I was lucky to, I remember we did a baseline survey of certain courts and we had to travel around the country, you know, sleeping in janky hotels, (laughs) you know, and scribbling down decades old data data. from these books. Yeah, the the manual, yeah, books. Exactly. So it it was a great experience for me also because PMC is... How do I describe this amazing woman? She taught me discipline and how to insist on what is right and how to insist on getting things done the right way because she did not accept mediocrity. Hmm. She would set a high bar. Exactly. And I mean, and the truth is that for a lot of us in Ghana here, when we when we work, we tend to think that, oh, we've done the, the most we can do. It's the okay. bare minimum, yeah. Yes. And once again... All these life experiences, whilst I was going through them, I didn't appreciate them for what they were. But later on, I said, wow, I see the influence of PMC in the way I do my things now. Up until today. Because, you know, and I think it was good to be exposed to a woman like her, who was powerful, who could get things done. I mean, the woman was not just a lawyer. But she was she she could even do the newspaper ads that we needed to. She would sit down and do it herself. And nice. I said, "Hey, this man can do everything." Yeah, see, see in a way, it's, it's kind of like you in a way, but just more seasoned veteran. <laughs> I like didn't think about it that way. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yes, yes, she it, she was she was uh, back then. I, we used to think she was difficult. <laughs> I mean, yeah, when you see it like that, exactly. it's like, why is a person so hard and so want to get it almost perfect? Exactly. Like for instance, she insisted we scrap. The report we had done and start from scratch. And this was wow. not a simple report. Wow. This was tons of data, tons of work. Now I respect that. I respect the the value in ensuring that things get done right. And uh, I appreciate her for that. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so you did Shobo for, I think you said, almost two years. And then you yeah, went to grad school? More than school. two years. More yeah. than two years? Maybe two and a half, yeah, actually. So the grad school, like... What was your plan for grad school? Like, what did you want to do and where did yeah. you go for grad school? So I went to Clemson by, not intentionally, well, Clemson <laughs> became my last resort and I'll explain. So whilst I was at Shawbell, Shawbell was great, but I knew that I couldn't be there for long mm. because I felt that I, there was something more that I needed to do. And I was eager to get on with it, you know. And once I set my sights on grad school, it was important to me that I worked on it as much as possible. And mm. I want to mention two people here. There was a lady called Nana Nana Kufo. 
And she was a, the head of the Ghana Institute of Consulting, which had been set up by Showbill. Mm-hmm. And I was seconded to work with her on that project to set up Ghana Institute of Consulting. And she had come from the States, okay. you know. So here I was working with this another young lady who had this American education, this American exposure. Right. So I was very influenced by, you know, her approach to things. Obviously, she was very different. She mm. was very sharp. Right. You know, so already there's PMC, now there's um, Nana. And then, you know, at the time, I also had a friend who was in tech who was trying to get into grad school in the States. Okay. So all of those influences made me think that, you know what? I want to go to the States. I want to do my master's in the States. Then I said, what do I want to do? Mm, at the time, question. I hadn't, I still didn't know whether I went. I, I, I realized now that when I look at the trajectory of my career and the things I was doing up until that point, a lot of it was heavy in comms writing mm-hmm. in organization mm-hmm. even at, at Shawbill yeah a lot of the work I was doing was literally comms <laughs> most of it was communicate like it was Basically. like a, it's a theme in a way exactly it like, it's, that's it so then I, I think one day I just sat down and I said well it looks like this is what you're doing so you might as well just formalize it by doing that in grad school so that's how I decided I wanted to do communications okay you know anything related to communication so I started applying to schools I did the GREs I wrote them twice twice I know because <laughs> my quantitative were not so good the first time oh. it became worse the second exam and <laughs> my my verbals even better but I missed the first year the second year I was so determined I applied to 15 schools wow and I was determined because this was post-recession right okay. schools were not yes, giving yes. and I was looking for funding my parents could not well at least my mom had made it clear that she's not going to pay that kind of school fees yeah because a lot yeah it's a lot of money so I knew that at all costs, I had to I had to find funding. I had to find an assistantship. An assistantship being you work for the school, you get a tuition waiver, mm-hmm. you get a stipend, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And so it was important to me to spread my wings far and wide. Okay. So I decided to apply. So I had a very, I sometimes I joke and I say that I don't think I've been as determined as I was at that time in my life. Oh, really? You you really wanted to just... I sat yeah. down and I approached it like a job. I project managed it. Wow. You know, and now I admire myself for that because I sat down, I did my research back then. I didn't have internet at home. Mm. So I'll clip things into one note, into my Excel sheet. I'll put them together. I was like, which school does this? I checked all the lists, best schools for this. Yeah. Put together a list and I, had, I was in contact with my friend in the US who was also providing me advice on how to approach it you know how to send and it was such an expensive process because you are sending everything from sending your scores to sending your transcripts to sending your supporting documents to even getting transcripts <laughs> from tech it's a nightmare oh yes yes so, so much, much money yeah so get all much that. money so much money i was broke i probably made my mom broke too in there because we're changing you know even back then the dollar was a dollar it was still know? high <laughs> regardless it was still high but I was so determined that I needed to find a school that would give me an assistantship. And I found Clemson at the tail end of my search. school search. And I just found it by accident because I was once once again, you know, lingering on one of these sites. I used to come to work very early in the morning, partly mm-hmm. because of traffic and partly because I wanted to do this. Come to work very oh, yeah. early. And I'm at work, I'm scrolling, scrolling. And I discovered a school that had higher scores, higher satisfaction scores than Ivy League schools. Oh, Okay. And I said, ah, but which school is this? Like, how is it that the students that go there are like almost 90 something percent of them are so happy, happy yeah. to have attended the school? So I click, 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 and I was like, quick, let me check the website out. And then I discovered that they had a program. And then I discovered that they had assistantships. Okay. So immediately I 
put them in my list. I started emailing the school, blah, blah, blah. And they were very forthcoming compared to a lot of the other schools, actually. Like they were, they, and that was my was... first acceptance I got. Oh, you're the first one. That was the first acceptance out of all the schools I applied to. Which was like about 15 years ago. Yes. You know, I don't, it's been that long, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it. But I got that acceptance and I was so reluctant because I was like, mm, a school in South Carolina. Now, South Carolina, is, we, I thought it was a racist place. Yeah. Nobody I knew knew Clemson. It, like we never heard about it. What is Clemson? Exactly. I was like, how is it that this is the first school that comes through? And I got accepted by all the schools I applied to except NYU, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> I still feel that. But then I didn't get funding. I think I got funding for University of Denver, but even it wasn't full. Either ways, I found myself at the position where if you want to go to grad school, you want your fees paid, you want to go to grad school now, you're going to Clemson. Wow. And that's how I found myself in South Carolina. So you just decided, okay, Clemson. you know what, this is it, this is Clemson. That's it. Girl bust, okay. And it was a great decision I made because the school was actually fantastic. It's a massive school. It's very big on in sports, so okay, it's a massive football school. It also has a lot of facilities, so it's I can't even describe it. You have to see it for yourself. Mm. The sort of facilities the school has—they have everything from golf to their stadium is bigger than the Accra Sports Stadium <laughs> called is, Death Valley, and this is a university, <laughs> and that's a university, you know. And there's a very big school spirit. So when I got in, I understood why because the school is big on Clemson, our colors, you know, mm-hmm. everything we do, we are all in. Right. So I got in and I was like, yep, this, this is, is me. This, this is, is me round another round two experience in university. So nice. once again, same experience. I was in. This is funny because I attended the University of Houston. And I, oh, nice. I understand the school spirits because everybody is in exactly. it. Exactly. So that must have been a really interesting experience because the American community university experience is just like yeah. way different than other countries. Yes. Yeah. So that was interesting. So you did your your. MA in for like a year in communication communications so you did were you thinking at any point in time that maybe I should just stay in the states and just get a job there oh yeah absolutely I didn't (laughs) listen when I was leaving Ghana I was like bye bye you're not coming back (laughs) I was like see you later alligator I'm not coming back I thought I was going to do a PhD initially oh wow you wanted to do a PhD I wanted to do when I started school the intention was to do a PhD by the time I finished my first year I knew I couldn't do a PhD because School is hard. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It is hard because, especially in the US, as you know, having been to, you either publish or perish. So part of school itself, mm. even for for masters, you have to publish, publish things. You have to participate. You have to do this. And I was teaching, so that's my, my that's where mm. my academia experience came in. Because okay. as part of my my tuition wave, I had to teach. So I was teaching undergrads. I guess our version of. Com skills, mm-hmm. accelerated composition. So I had two classes that I was teaching, and then I had all kinds of side gigs on campus, uh, <laughs> teaching athletes, all kinds of things. Um, okay, so yeah, was, doing the whole everything, all doing everything at once again. Exactly, but this time like with sense because, for instance, I got a job at one of these international living and learning communities, which oh. gave me a free apartment oh, my nice. second year. Exactly. And then, you know, because thankfully master's programs, there's, the classes are in the evening. It leaves you with a daytime to do to a lot. Do a lot. Okay. So I even used it to work a PR agency in the next town called Greenville. Nice. So I used my time, some of my free time to work there. So I, I maximized the experience because one, I knew I was like, I'm not getting money from anywhere. Mm. You know, so I have to make sure that I'm making as much as I can within the, the period that I have. So you brought that hustle experience all the basically, way to Greenville. Okay. Basically. And um, yeah, so I realized that PhD was not for me also because... I felt like I would be left behind. Hmm. So all my friends I knew were already along in their careers. 
And I have to be honest, I felt that peer pressure where I was like, I don't want to be in school for so long, you know, and school mm, is not so, easy. Yeah, you know, it's a lot I, of study. And I like can't I see them, myself, yeah. exactly. I can't see myself really teaching, researching, doing all this. And so I told my parents and they were very unhappy with me about it. But I stuck with it and I said, I don't think I'm going to do school again. I'm done. <laughs> okay. I'm done with college. If I do school again, maybe MBA. Okay. So I tried to stay in the US after. I actually worked, uh, I got. I used my temporary working, you know, when you finish yeah. school, they give you a temporary work permit. Mm-hmm. So I used that as much as I can. I got a job in Dallas working for a public affairs um, agency and then got transferred to DC where I actually wanted to be in the first place. Which I mean, because, yeah, you kind of had the skills from even not kicking exactly. So that was a big event. DC is a perfect place to exactly. go in that route. But unfortunately for me, the the public affairs company that I was with didn't want to give me an H-1B. I mean, you understand the dynamics <laughs> of that. Yes. And back then, it was still post-recession. So they were looking at the numbers of it. Right, right. hiring um, H-1B, H-1B yes. requires expense. It does, yeah. You know, and at that level, they're like, okay, is this person a senior person? Yeah. It's not like tech. You know, when you're in tech, that's different. It's mm-hmm. easy to hire tech. True. You know, we all know when it comes to H-1B hiring season, it's like, the accounting firms and the tech firms who come and collect all the H1Bs. And- yeah, and just take them all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, take them all. Know? Yeah, so I was planning to do my MBA. And then I said, you know what? When I finished, um, no, when I was working with a public affairs firm, I realized that I'm not going to do my permanent work permit. So I moved to American University of um, Washington College of Law, the law school. Okay. That's where I was exposed to digital marketing. So I was oh. doing digital marketing for them. And they too said they couldn't give me the permit. Which one be? Exactly. So at the time, my friend was like, oh, I'm working on something in in Kumasi. And being the spontaneous person that I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to Ghana. Oh, wow. So you just decided, you know, I'm not getting any H-1B visas or permits. I was like, I can always come back. I actually had, what do you call it, MBA school admission letters. I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to Ghana for one year and just clear my head, try to figure out where my career is going, maybe Mm -hmm. work on this project, maybe register a business, do some side hustle work and come back in a year. In a year. So you you gave yourself a year. Yes, I'm still here. <laughs> you gave yourself a year. So regardless of that, you still came back. She went back to came back to Ghana, went yes. to Kumasi to do this project with a friend. Yes, and my my family was just like, "You are mad." Why? Because <laughs> is it because you left the states and came back to Ghana? Yes, they were like, first and foremost, is it because you didn't pay school fees? That's why you just get up and come and come and see. I come to Kumasi to work on what project. So then I came to Kumasi. I perched at my uncle's house. My uncle's like, "That's where you see." And then I found myself working at Ultimate Radio. Okay, back to radio. <laughs> yes, and what I didn't mention was that when I was in D.C., actually, I used to work with NPR's WAMU. Oh, nice. So I was like, well, I don't know if radio could be my thing. Could so, be a career, I never know. Exactly. So I remember I used to I used to work with this lady called Marquette Shepard. She was a reporter. So I would tell her on all her reporting projects in the DMV. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes she'd get, she'd allow me to um, record my own projects, record my own reports and things like that. And once in a while, I don't remember how often, I don't think I even got on air that often, just like doing background work and having okay. that exposure to the radio environment. So when I came back to Ghana at Ultimate um, Radio, I was doing production and a number of things. So I found myself working with Kofi Uso again. 
Mm. The same person back. I remember I said yeah. he had exactly thrust a sheaf of papers in yeah, your face. Yeah. Basically. And I always told him that story. I was like, do you know that I tried to work with you many years ago? And um, so I, I was in Kumasi for about two months. And I even, I, I actually am proud of that experience because I helped to restructure some of the programs they had on, on air. Okay. They, um, I was on the morning show. I even did some news on the morning show and um, business um, segments and whatnot. But eventually it wasn't making sense because there were, the pay was not, I mean, it at the time, good. yes. It wasn't make it just wasn't you know sometimes you have to evaluate yourself and mm-hmm. if you are if you are like me where you you've got now like a wealth of experience and, and all it's this. not even just a wealth of experience I think that personality wise some of us like to discover you know let me try this let me try this and see if it works you know if it works out great if it doesn't work out let's keep it moving and you know I can't say that my family thought that was a great thing at the time. I mean, I can see how they'd have probably thought, oh, are you serious? Yeah, you seem to be like, you just got a job, now you're going to leave it again? It, it, not even that, but even then, they didn't want me there. <laughs> they they didn't like, want me in Kumasi so, working at, at Ultimate FM. Hmm. They wanted me back in the States being Doing, serious about my life. Right. You get me. Right. But it was still good for me, though. So I left, and that's how I started getting, I would say, links, connections, understand, understanding like of how radio works in Ghana. Right. It was, that time was very vital. Yes. So I came back to Accra. I had registered my business, uh, Mentis Communications, and I started working for small non-profits. So I was actually working from Hub Accra, which is now Impact Hub. That's how, exactly, that's how I ended up uh, meeting so many techies Mm. in the space because a lot of them were also starting out and working from there. So I was working from there. And then somebody introduced me to Global Media Alliance. Mm -hmm. So I... Showed up there for an interview and um, they said, oh, well, you so, you're supposedly qualified, but I think that they thought I was a small girl. So they said... Supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I looked young and the role was a head of PR position okay. that I had gone to apply for, I'd gone to interview for. And so they rather offered me marketing manager at Silverbed. That began my formal re-entry into into communications exactly in Ghana yeah wow so perhaps so from there I know that you did a bunch of other things you worked at Now Available yeah I know of and then you did other things for Ogilvy as well yeah and then how did eventually did you end up at Holot Ghana which is kind of (laughs) not necessarily I would say like it wouldn't cross, come across anybody like Holland, an insurance company. Why Why work for an insurance company as their head of communications and PR? I wouldn't have, if you had asked me at the beginning of the year if I would work in an insurance company, I would have probably laughed in your face. <laughs> I'd have been like, one, can you see me in an insurance company? You know, um, so at the time, like you said, I had already, I'd had this experience from, you know, from the States had been working in agencies, mm-hmm. you know, during grad school, after grad school, public affairs agencies, blah, blah, blah. So I'd become what I call an agency rat, you know, <laughs> going from agency to agency, from Silverbed to global media. Global media was also a fantastic experience, you know, as head of PR, then moving to now available for digital exposure and experience and Ogilvy. So I was very much into the consulting practice of integrated comps and everything else in between creative marketing I was very comfortable but at the time as well I recognized that I still needed to do a bit more to push my career 
Okay. You know, you know, agency people, we are never comfortable. <laughs> you're doing more, you're do, you doing know, the most. We yeah. are always, we are, maybe because we are exposed to so much. When you work at agency, you're exposed to all kinds of businesses. Yeah, you different know, sectors, exactly. almost everywhere. One day you're working for an agri business, the next day you're working for a mining company, the next day you're working for some international agency. One day you are in Turkey for, uh, what's it called, Turkish Airlines. The mm -hmm. next day you are in the bush, you know, for some campaign. And, you know, with it comes a feeling of, at some point in time, how do we, like, what happens next? Yeah, and for right. a lot of people from agency, what happens next is maybe you enter some international company or you do, or you become formal leadership. So I was in a very good position at Ogilvy. When one day I got a call from a friend saying that someone was going to call me from Holland. And I said, oh, really? Okay. And he was like, oh, just hear them out. So I was like, mm. insurance company, if he had listened to me, because the first time he called me, I said, oh, by you, <laughs> you know, and I'm glad he didn't listen to me. I was like, oh, just, just I'll them give them out. your number. Call. Yeah. I mean, um, just talk to them. And um, that's what began like a protracted conversation with Holland. Okay. It's funny because when I got in, they were like, are you the lady that dragged <laughs> dragged this? Because, you know, when you don't feel like, when you're not really interested in something. Yeah, you just give a, yeah, like, it's a yeah. courtesy, like, okay, I'll listen to you, exactly, I'll talk to you. Exactly, but you're not, if I had been looking for a job, I think I would have probably snapped it up immediately, but right. I wasn't really looking for a job. But as I began the conversations with them, I realized that, let's put the, insurance aside the mm -hmm. company itself from what i could see had great values mm -hmm. i admired the way they did they, they they performed their business you know the company is almost a social enterprise in the way mm -hmm. it approaches because it's very big on its purpose right and then i think the one thing that sealed my decision was the fact that i had seen online that in essay they had this daredevil run the daredevil run is basically men running in speedos, mm. as in Pyoto, <laughs> running in speedos to support testicular cancer awareness, to raise funds for testicular cancer. That's an interesting campaign. And I said to myself, an insurance company that can organize a race. It's a bit different than what you're used to. I was like, no, this is very interesting. <laughs> I want to be part of this, you know, and that was what enamored me to the brand. And, you know, and the role is... It's a marriage between communications and marketing because it's mm. communications and marketing. It's, it's more or less everything brands, everything communication. And I said to myself, wow, this is different. This is exciting. And as I met the leadership, my current boss, Patience, Patience was also significant reason for why I signed up because I remember having a meal with her. I think I had lunches or dinner with her. And as I spoke to her, I felt that this is somebody I want to work for. And I realize now that I've worked for a lot of women bosses. Yeah, yeah. I remember the conversation. <laughs> I haven't even mentioned the others along the way yes, that I worked for. Yes, you, they've seemed to be instrumental. <laughs> they in the have way, been. Yeah. They have been. And as I, when I met her, I said, wow, this woman has a vision. And I want to work for somebody like that. And maybe, and I remember she said, well, it seems like you've done it all hmm. on this side. Why don't you come over to, to this other, Yeah, this other side. To this other side. And then really round out your your career experience. Hmm. And, you know, so she was very wise in what she said to me, you know, and 
She also allayed my concerns about me not fitting in because I was genuinely worried about that. You know, I have mm. colored hair. I do it. I don't want to wear a suit. You know, all of that. And she said, "Well, the company is not like that in the first place. Come okay. and be yourself." Mm. That's, that's, you a, know. that's good. Exactly. So if you think about it, leadership is very important because if you have the right kind of leaders, those leaders recognize the right talent to bring in. They understand the goals of the institution that they are working for. And then not just the goals, but also the vision, where the institution wants to be and what is required to get there. And sometimes you bring on board people who may not necessarily look like it immediately, may not look like they're a perfect fit for that. But then when they come in, you understand that they fit in. And for me, that was my experience. I came in and when I actually was onboarded, I remember thinking to myself, oh, I get it now. Mm. Because they are, they take themselves very seriously. No, they don't take themselves very seriously, but they take their work very seriously. Yeah, what they're trying to do, their mission and their vision. Basically. Yeah. And that is how I live my life. I don't take myself too seriously, but I don't play with my work. Right. You know, and it, it made sense at that point that the company may be in insurance, but they still allow their vibrancy, their creativity to shine. And I said, well, that's a great fit for my personality. And I'm, mm. I'm happy to see that it had, has worked out in the last three years oh. since I've been there. Nice. And um, it's been a fantastic journey working with Hollard. Owning, for me, the experience working for Hollard has been being front and center. Owning the brand as a consulting person in the past, as an agency rat. As you know, typically, this job is behind the scenes. Yeah. You're getting things done. You're used to always being behind the scenes. You're yeah. used to helping people to achieve the limelight. You're used to pushing others. And then suddenly, I felt myself, I found myself in a space where now I'm in the limelight. Yeah, you're in the spotlight. Now I'm representing this brand. Now, if this fails publicly, my name is on it. Yeah. It's, on, it's you. They're exactly. looking for Cynthia. They're looking for, they're looking for the agency, looking for Cynthia exactly. who heads this brand. Exactly. And it was, I think... The first year was very anxiety-inducing for me because I had a lot of pressure, maybe self-inflicted pressure. pressure. Just trying to make it work. Trying to do my job, actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and I'm sure you got over that hurdle very quickly. Well, yes, I got comfortable eventually once I found my feet. But because obviously I had to learn how to work in corporate. Right. You know, coming from a more, well, I would say relaxed, you know, agencies are different... Yeah, it's almost like a startup in a way. Agency, everything's moving fast. Corporate is more structured. Corporate is more structured. Also, understanding how corporate works, understanding how to get things done within the constraints that you are faced with. You know, it's been a great learning opportunity for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm also proud to work with some really fantastic people because the team there is, is, I mean, better than I could ever ask for. Awesome. And the leadership. Okay. Yeah. So this has been a really good conversation. I think we just want to wrap it up not yeah. too quickly with last couple of questions. So all the thing you told me about your hustling days, university days, <laughs> going back and forth, US, UK, all that. Do you look up, really look back sometimes and think, okay, maybe at this part of my journey, I should have done this or could I, I could have done this and not done that instead? No. So I would I say no, not because I haven't done silly things in the past. I have. I've done stupid things. But I think that's the beauty of my story. I think the beauty is the person I am right now is, is a result of all the mistakes, the result of all the mishaps 
you know, the rejections, the let me figure it out. And I think that the reason why I am good at my job, if I say so myself, is because I come to my job with a complexity of perspectives. Mm. Having been exposed to so many things, you know, so many experiences, I think that's the beauty of being in this role that is two different business units, marketing and communications, right. you know. And um, yeah, I don't think I would do anything differently. I don't think I would do anything differently at all. Okay. I I mean, it was painful at some point. I Yes, I questioned myself a lot. Right. You know. Your family was also saying, what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. But I have to be fair to my family as well. They really just let me do whatever I wanted to do. Right. You don't get that with other families. They're a lot more insistent on you staying in the straight and narrow path. And my family was, you want to do it, you are determined, okay, go ahead. Right. And do it. If you hit the wall, you know, you hit the wall. Right. And sometimes I also think that we need to let people hit the wall. Mm, true. Get out, of the, exactly. get out of the comfort zone. And for young people who have who feel they don't know what they are doing, sometimes just go with your gut. And when I look back, I realize that my career has really been me going with my gut. Mm. Going my, with my gut, I feel like this is a good decision to make. Let me explore it. Does it work out? Yes. There are people who, I, I think I'm a little jealous of people who, all their lives knew what they wanted to do hmm. and they pursued it doggedly. Right. You know, I wanted to be a, I want to be a doctor from childhood and I am a doctor today. I think that's an amazing thing. That has not been my story. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's been a little... Even now, I don't know where, what next. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but so I think you mentioned about trusting your gut. Yeah. But if you had to give a, maybe another piece of advice for yeah. people listening to this podcast, maybe young people, entrepreneurs, people right. like that in business, like what other piece of advice would you give them apart from trusting your gut? I think the world is truly your oyster. It sounds like a cliched statement, but I can't imagine what I would have done if I was coming of age in this world. Hmm. You know? You can sit in Ghana and get a job internationally without even trying. True. Yeah. All you need to do is blast some LinkedIn messages <laughs> and, you know, yeah. reposition yourself on socials. I mean, I'm terrible at socials, but if you really know what you want to do, you can decide to craft a personality, craft a whole universe of yourself that you can push to people anywhere. Mm -hmm. So... My advice to people now is stop thinking within the small spaces that you're in currently. Your world is not just Accra. Mm -hmm. Your world is not just your church and the places that you're in. The world is bigger than that. You are privileged to live in a world that is accepting and open. And COVID leapfrogged, fast forwarded that opportunity. Yeah, true. So why not just give it a shot and see what happens next? And that was Cynthia Oforidum for the Group Head of Marketing Corporate Affairs for Holland, Ghana. Thanks everybody for listening to the show. And again, don't forget to like and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. See you next time.